Hi everyone and welcome back to On Track Off Course, the Racing Welfare podcast. We're back with series two and we just want to start by saying a massive thank you to everyone who listened to any of the episodes from series one and for all of the great feedback we got from that. It's much appreciated and we're glad that so many of you were enjoying the content and hopefully finding it useful. This series will be much the same. We're going to be talking to some big racing names who are going to be talking about issues that we don't normally hear them discuss. Um, and I'm really looking forward to getting going. How are you, Tina? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you, Lauren. Good. Like you say, just thank you to everybody that's listened. You know, it means the world to us. It's been a strange time, hasn't it? Through lockdown, well-being, which we focus on on this podcast, is certainly sort of come to the forefront of people's minds hasn't it through this well, yeah. what you'd call pretty dark times to be honest without sugarcoating anything yeah so how have you been how, how have you been managing your well-being through it um yeah I think up and down like everyone but feeling a bit more positive now the sun's out today which always makes me feel better I really mm. think I was actually born to live in the Mediterranean <laughs> not Suffolk (laughs) (laughs) please don't run away (laughs) um but yeah and um kind of looking forward to summer days and just hopefully fingers crossed being able to spend some more time with people in person Mm. but yeah what about you what have you been how have you been managing your well-being what have you been doing actually something we were just talking about as we ironically scrolled through our Twitter feeds um, <laughs> I've really managed my social media I've deleted my apps you know when you have an interest like racing or football or rugby or cricket or whatever it is you can just find yourself scrolling and scrolling and scrolling yeah. and it never ends I'll look it up on safari now maybe for an hour a day but it just creates that little barrier yeah. instead of just being able to click straight into the app just making it a little bit harder to log in and and get to it has really helped not being on social media quite as much. I think that's always been, well, not always, but for the last couple of years has been something I've been really aware of is the um, amount of time I spend on social media on my phone and I've done the same as you and deleted the apps and it makes such a huge difference. The other thing that we've both been doing actually is um trying to do regular exercise three mornings a week tina sends me some hideous hit workout <laughs> to do but it just kicks the day off in the right way and gets your brain going gets your body going um and i've been trying to do some more regular yoga which i know some people kind of give a big sigh to and it sounds i do because you send me hideous yoga videos <laughs> And she says, move your leg 45 degrees. And I can only get it about three degrees. <laughs> Awful. Yeah, but I think um, I try not to focus on the limitations of my physical body and um, just concentrate on the breathing side of it. And it makes a huge difference to me. It's that a kind of routine as well, mm. having a routine to your day because we're sort of home office based. We're not out there riding horses anymore or out working in yards. So having that routine really helps doesn't it when you're at home to get up do your exercise start your day yeah in today's episode we're going to be talking about anxiety and we're going to be joined by racing tv broadcaster tom stanley and i cannot wait for people to hear this interview 
Yeah, it's really, again, he's come on and he's been so open and honest, yeah. which we really appreciate because it's, it's a very personal topic and it's yeah. one that people find quite difficult to talk about and I think it will hopefully inspire and help a lot of people who are going through that the same thing and, you know, there is a lot of support out there. As we always say, you know, race and welfare are here for anyone struggling with, with mental health issues such as anxiety. Yeah, and then we hear from Dr. Will McComb, Freeman, who has some great insights from a professional angle, doesn't mm-hmm. he? Yeah, he really does, and he, he talks about the tools that you can use to manage anxiety and and his sort of advice and how it's also affected him personally. Yeah, so it makes you realise it's it's a big it's a big issue. Yeah, let's hear from Tom. So I am thrilled to say we're joined now by racing TV presenter, broadcaster, rival podcast presenter, journalist, Tom Stanley. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, thanks very much for, for having me. It's definitely not a, a content rival podcast um, for you know, <laughs> no. talking about all the important issues in racing as opposed to, to, to tipping. But uh, no, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here. I've, um, I've followed this podcast since it started up and um, I think it's a, a great thing to be out there. Thank you so much. I think people might be surprised to hear what we're going to talk to you about today. We're going to talk to Tom about anxiety. And it just struck me when I was um, trying to do a bit of Googling and research on you beforehand that, you know, you sort of come across as someone who's got everything. You've got the dream job. You've got the family, lovely wife, kids. I have to say, when I Googled you, I put Tom Stanley into Google and you come out on top. You're, you're ahead of Tom Stanley, first Earl of Derby. Um, another Tom Stanley who runs a national accountancy firm and uh, a professor of meta-analysis, whatever that is. Uh, so you're living the life, Tom. He, the professor of, I, there, there used to be a stage where I, I hoped people would think I was the professor of meta and I remember, not that I Googled myself. <laughs> you but Googled yeah, there was yourself, a, yeah. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> there was a point where I was like, who is this guy? But um, yes, good old right. uh, racing TV, I'm, I'm, I'm up there. That's, that's, that's good to hear. <laughs> so kind of, you know, just looking at all of that, you know, everything seems brilliant and um, I think that's quite often the case with people you're not kind of aware what's going on in people's everyday lives behind the scenes and um, I'm just wondering if you can tell us a bit about your experience. Yeah definitely so um, I think that's I think that's really um, an interesting starting point because um, I mean the main reason I wanted to talk about anxiety here isn't just to to talk about my uh, own experience with it and um, encourage people to 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 do the same and normalize those conversations which I think is hugely important um, but it's also to appeal to those who perhaps currently think the way I used to about anxiety um I I definitely am hugely grateful for having what I would consider the dream job it is not like going to work it's wonderful um, and I'm very lucky to do that and also very lucky to have a great family a hugely supportive family which we'll definitely get a mention when discussing this this um, subject matter um, but as you say you really don't know what's bubbling away um, behind the scenes necessarily and I was certainly someone who um, would so I so I think there's there's an important difference to to, to make or a different a differentiation to to hit upon here between depression and anxiety and my um, 
early view of it. So I think I grew up at a time where depression was definitely um, becoming more an accepted um, subject matter and an illness. And um, for whatever reason, I thought depression was something that not necessarily could affect anyone, but was certainly something that, that, that deserved respect. It was an illness, um, not a weakness. And anyone that suffered with depression um, would hopefully seek help. And uh, it wasn't something they could really do anything about. But I certainly saw anxiety as something very different from that. Um, if I came into contact with anyone who um, was open with their anxiety issues, I'd, unfortunately, I'd probably be initially just a, a little bit judgmental and think, well, not, not really get the difference between feeling nervous about something or, or worried about something and actually being to the stage where you are crippled with anxiety. Mm. Um, and I probably saw particularly social anxiety, I think as somebody that ha is normally quite confident going into a room full of people or going to meet new people, I, I quite uh, enjoy that process and still do, but um, we'll, we'll probably talk about other, other things around that. I, I thought people with, with those sorts of anxieties, unfortunately, perhaps they weren't, doing the right thing uh, vocationally and they shouldn't be putting themselves in those situations because it's not really something that is is an illness and anxiety this is what I used to think and it and it's and it's probably something that you could just pull yourself out of just a kind of a pull yourself together view which I'm, I'm ashamed to say that is exactly how I thought and there were often people who I would um, who would be open about their anxiety and I'd sort of see what they did for a job or I'd you know see on social media they held a normal job and thought well, it can't be that bad because you've got a normal job. So come on, like, like pull yeah. yourself together. Um, and certainly didn't grasp that it is quite, or can be quite so debilitating. So can you tell us a little bit about your experience with anxiety and when it started and how it sort of manifested? Because it can manifest in so many different ways, can't it? Oh, uh, definitely. So um, it's relatively short term. It's not something I've been suffering from for a long time. Um, I don't want this to become like a COVID debate, but um, it's likely that that is what what brought it on. So uh, gen generally, um, a, a bit of background before I started suffering, um, I, I used to get some nerves um, before doing a broadcast, for example. I thought that was quite a good thing. Um, I used to, you know, try and use it to your advantage. People say that, don't they? And um, it, it never went into sort of dangerous territory. I, you know, I used to sort of thrive off those nerves, if you like, or try to anyway, and always see them as a, as a positive. Um, very comfortably socially, never thought for a second that anxiety was a word that I would ever have to use um, to describe anything going on in my life. Um, I, I then uh, almost a year ago to the day, um, sort of a, around Cheltenham time, um, or that wasn't linked to that, um, became unwell, uh, which would likely what was 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 COVID, but but hey, it can be anything, so that's not really the issue. Um, it, it went on for for quite some time with um, with um, headache issues and uh, and and nausea and dizziness to the point where after a couple of weeks, I thought this is strange. We went into lockdown. Um, I then convinced myself um, being male that I had some sort of brain tumor and had months to live. <laughs> Genuinely going through my emails for the links to the wills, all these sorts oh of things. My, and it's pathetic. Evil. Yeah. But, but that's, but that's what I, you know, that's where I was. Um, I saw a, a consultant um, and uh, he said, look, we'll, we'll, we'll give you a scan, but 
I don't think we're dealing with that sort of stuff. So don't worry. So that then put me that then put me at rest. And I thought that sort of week's worth of anxiety, paranoia about that, I thought would then pass. Um, and then uh, I developed a, a, a pain in my in my head, which um, is is genuinely still there now. Um, I've had it for every day for over a year. It's um, but not bad at all. It's now sort of a, a, a two out of ten uh, pain in the same part of my head. It's being diagnosed as something called a numular headache, and it's totally manageable, fine. Um, and I'm on medication um, to to help with that. But what came out of of this chronic pain was. Um, this feeling of fear and anxiety, which at first I didn't know what it was. Um, it started to affect my sleep initially, um, not knowing what was wrong with me. Um, and I was then quite happy with the lockdown process of not having to leave the house, not having to go anywhere. Um, and, you know, I just sort of big, big sort of, you know, my wife would notice like what differences in me that I wasn't so communicative. Um, I certainly didn't want to um, go for those walks with people, um, perhaps that you were allowed to, um, you know, one on one. Um, I didn't really want to talk about it. And the main problem then started to, to manifest itself when racing returned. And it became clear that I was going to have to go back to work, which is great and should have been something I was really looking forward to. Um, and I've never had panic attacks in my life. Um, I didn't know what they were or what they would feel like. And they started to become nightly, um, wow. not being able to sleep way. If I did sleep, it wasn't a proper sleep. Um, I, I rang the doctor and, and wanted it initially just to get stuff to help me with, with my sleep. Cause I thought that was the problem. I was tired. Um, and then you go on this process of, um, uh, catastrophizing to, okay, well, I'm a freelancer and uh, the, I'm returning to work soon. And um, because of circumstances, I'm the sole earner in the family. And if I don't get enough sleep, then I'm not going to be able to work. And if I can't work, then I'm not going to be able to pay for us to live. And my unborn child is going to have no sort of life to come into. And it started to really, over the period of, of probably a month, um, between the last two weeks of May and the first two weeks of June, when we did when racing did return on the 1st of June, um, it, it started to really spiral out of control um, into, into nightly panic attacks, um, you know, not being able to breathe, waking my pregnant wife up with these attacks. You know, she was the one that she was the one that was looking after me when it should have been the other way around. And, um, and just feeling like I was going mad, basically. I just kept saying, I, something is wrong. I, I'm going completely mad and I have no control over what's happening. So um, it was really frightening. And then to counter that with my view of people who used to suffer with it, I really didn't want to admit to it. I really didn't mm. want to accept that this was happening because I didn't think I was ever, genuinely ever somebody that would be affected by it. So at what point did you reach out for support and and start to accept that it was anxiety and what type of support did you seek out um so I'm really conscious as well but in 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 this that my experience of it has been relatively short term and short-lived and I'm very lucky that that's the case um and there may be some people listening to this out there who have had and, and I, re I genuinely don't know how they've coped dealing with it for a long period of time because it it ate away at me for the short period of time that I was really suffering with it. Um, so it was my wife initially who said, I'm very lucky that, that um, she's somebody that's very open to these sorts of issues. Um, she has um, taken medication bef before for, for mental health issues. And she said, 
call the doctor immediately, um, request some medication, and you need to go on some sort of um, program to, to, to help get out of this spiral. And so I called my doctor who was absolutely um, brilliant. And you know, what was interesting, there was a marked difference between the ringing the doctor every week saying, I've still got this pain in my head to ringing the doctor and saying, I'm having panic attacks and crazy thoughts and that was a uh, the good thing about that was there was an immediately a different reaction from her um and all of a sudden I felt it was taken very seriously particularly when you mentioned you're a father to be and then all of a sudden it was straight away um okay there's a there's a, a free NHS service called Healthy Minds which I would recommend to everyone it's a free brilliant service um not everything you cover you may find useful but it is at your fingertips even during lockdown now you can do it like we're doing it on zoom you can do it as part of a group um, i just requested a weekly phone call where um, the same practitioner would ring me at the same time every week and go through different practices i could use basically uh, cbt cognitive behavioral therapy mm-hmm. um, to try and get to the root of of, of where this problem was coming from and over the course of six weeks I found that incredibly beneficial. Um, there is a differentiation between whether you feel you're suffering from depression or low mood or anxiety. My low mood scores were always quite low. And my anxiety scores were always quite high, but I can definitely see how one can absolutely lead to the other. And how if I hadn't have addressed the anxiety initially, it could definitely have progressed into into low mood but equally all this time I was going to work and I was going on course and going on to racing tv and nobody uh, um, hopefully would have known that there was anything wrong but uh, you know that's I do realize how it can bubble away under the surface for people and yet other people may have no idea. Were you able to tell people at work I mean obviously I understand you're saying us as viewers probably couldn't tell there was anything happening but were you supported at work yeah absolutely absolutely so even as a freelancer I felt um very supportive with um the two bits of work mainly I do obviously one is a, a podcast I do from home with matchbook and that was fine that was um that, that to be honest I didn't need to say anything to them because I the, the the anxiety was surrounded about having to go out and leave the house and meet other and meet people and yeah. um and speak to people and be 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 seen at the race course on screen Uh, And racing TV, I definitely didn't let them know the extent of the problem, but I I just said, um, you know, please can, please can we ensure that I don't have to do more than two days together because I was sort of telling myself, okay, if I don't, if I, if I'm up all night having a panic attack, the, the first night before, let's say I'm working a Tuesday, I can do the Tuesday and then I'll be so tired. I can come home and maybe just sleep straight away. And then I'll probably get through another day, but I won't get through a third. So that was the sort of stipulations I set out. Now I never told them because I was embarrassed and I was worried, even though I know it wouldn't, I was worried it may affect me going forward, you know, as a freelancer, you know, oh God, do we want to rely on somebody who, and they have been absolutely brilliant and so supportive, but I was just nervous about, about opening up about that to anyone as a freelancer, whether it would affect my work. So I said it was to do with my, the pain in my head. And, um, you know, I wasn't sleeping great as a result of this, this chronic pain I've got. So maybe two days is, is the limit, but they were completely supportive, brilliantly understanding. And that was absolutely not a problem. And, you know, certainly for those first few weeks, it felt like the rotor was half tailored to, to help me. So that was, that was great. I was, I was very fortunate in that instance. And I wouldn't like to think anybody that feels they can't, um, go to work because of the issues they're suffering is is sort of feeling under pressure to do so I think that would be a horrible position mm. to be in. Obviously you've had the birth of your child since all of this has happened has that affected 
you in any way, positive or negative? I think well, it's had a negative impact on the sleep, but um, <laughs> I think it's had a it's had a it's, it's had a positive impact on. I think to be honest, the whole experience has had a positive impact on on realizing what's personally important in life. Um, you know, just before I was ill last year, there was a lot of traveling, you know, live, genuinely living my dream job, and that was great. But also maybe looking out quite a lot as opposed to looking in. And now this whole mm-hmm. lockdown experience, plus the, um, the the sort of you know personal year that myself and my wife have had um, with the birth of a baby, with with you know very much, I'm very much feel more stay at home um, base now, which is great. Um, the other thing I, I wanted to mention is that. Um, you know, medication wise, um, I'm, I'm now on medication for this uh, pain in my head, but that's also one of the joyous side effects for me is that it's also an anti-anxiety drug. And it's taken me a, a little bit of time to be able to admit that I take the pill for the anxiety just as much as I take it for the pain. Whereas mm-hmm. initially I told everyone, oh, I take this pill. Uh, what's it called? Oh, it's called duloxetine. And then I think, God, they might go and look it up and see it's an antidepressant. Uh, but, you know, I take it for the pain, the amount I take it for, uh, the, the MGs I take, it, it's for the pain. Uh, it would be a higher dose if it was for anxiety or depression, just so you know. But the fact of the matter is, I reap the rewards of the anti-anxiety nature of the drug probably more than the, than the, than the anti-pain mm. side. And that has helped hugely with sleep and outlook and everything alongside the CBT. And when you said you had those weekly calls where you'd like go through techniques to help you, what did you find were the most effective techniques for the anxiety and what's, what tools have sort of helped you get through it and to recover and to keep going and get back to work? So I found the, um, the main one was, um, so something called worry time where when you feel uh, the anxiety coming on it's normally about two, one or two specific things and opposed to as opposed to at that moment allowing it to to manifest within you and take control you have a designated time of day where you allow yourself to worry about it so you could say it's fine to worry about that usually completely ridiculous thought but it's fine but we just have to do it at 8 p.m or whatever time you set aside and then I spoke um, through Rishi Passad, a, a colleague, um, his a good friend, a, a, a chap called Richard Moat, they did they did some work together during the lockdown and still are and, and did an important podcast. He put me in touch with him and he just added a little bit to that to, to suggest that that worry time shouldn't just be spent inside the head. It was important to to write it down. So that has transitioned into me keeping a, a diary. I, I mean, if honestly, if you'd have told 21 year old me that I'd be keeping a diary. A gratitude diary. Uh, there's a bit of both in there now so um, I've actually started I've started seeing um, somebody else now who's who's local to me she's fantastic Um, and again she's just transitioned the diary ever so slightly so what I do now every night is I write down um, things that uh, are on my mind so that's the sort of worry time part could be anything Mm -hmm. I've got to do or anything that's on my mind as ridiculous as it may sound and then uh, three things I want to achieve the following day that can be as big or small as anything. And then everything that I'm grateful for at the end of it. And I do that as much as I can every night. And I genuinely look forward to doing it now. Uh, although I would have curled up into a ball or maybe just pointed and laughed at myself if you'd have told me 10 years ago, that's what I'd be doing. But I feel like I need to do that now and really enjoy doing it. Honestly, it is so refreshing to hear you, to hear anyone talk like that and admit that and um 
to see that change in how you feel about it is that's the most important thing for other people to to see isn't it that from you is that change from being so dismissive to yeah. really understanding how it's helping mm. you how can we make people understand a bit more about anxiety do you think I don't know that's a, that's a really good question because I think had I been, you know, there, there is so much, you know, what you guys are doing is great. And there's so much, you know, listening to George Baker's um, appearance on here, I was really struck struck by that. And uh, Lydia's initially with, with her, you know, the point is I think anything can affect you. It can be the death of a loved one. It can be uh, the accident that George had, uh, you know, hearing any, anybody that I work with who, who suffered social anxiety. Um, you know, I used to think, how can you be worried about going and, speaking to people you know it doesn't make sense they, they, and and you know there was a point where we moved house and we had to go and meet the neighbors next door and I was lying awake panicking at night about the fact that I had to go and meet the neighbors next door I mean that's completely mm. I was going to say completely mad which is just not the right terminology but that's how I felt <laughs> you know, I just think normalizing the conversation as much yeah. as possible yeah. is the only way you can do it and and then ho hopefully people say, oh, okay, I understand that that doesn't make you strange or odd that you felt that way. Mm. Um, it, 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 perhaps a lot more people feel like that or, or may at certain points in their life feel like that. And it, one day that might be me. Yeah, I think just normalizing the conversation is so important because at some point, either you or someone you know is going to have mm. a struggle, with, whether it's like with an accident, grief, anxiety something mm. and as long as it's been normalized to talk about even if you haven't experienced it yourself yet hopefully that helps people to feel more um, that they can approach the subject more openly yeah and and also be willing to talk about um you know things that they're doing to, to help themselves because mm. i think that's the the, you know, one of the other things I found really useful was was the mindfulness through CBT. So, um, you know, trying to focus on not focusing or not thinking, um, you know, but if you, you know, if you've got a bad back, if, you, if you've if you've really done your back and you say to a, to a mate, you know, oh, look, I've got to go for some physio just for the back, you know, I've got to go and sort it out and the physio is going to help, then that's totally okay. But if you say, oh, you know, my head's not in the right place. I'm going to go and speak to a therapist or oh, I'm just going to go and sit in a quiet room and do some mindfulness for 10 minutes. Don't mind the, the, the yin yoga music. Then all of a sudden that's not... <laughs> yeah, that's people not, still look at you like you have like, two heads. <laughs> yes, whereas I think that is... I think the mind should be now treated like just another part of the body that is in pain or not functioning quite right at that moment. And therefore you might need to do something to address it. And that should mm. be totally normal and totally fine. And can I just ask you how you are now? And because we're recording this pre Cheltenham, and you said you're at Cheltenham all four days, lucky thing. Yes. Um, <laughs> how how are you? And and are you anxious about that at all, or are you kind of recovered now? How are you feeling about it? So I would I would definitely say recovered, but equally um, changed. So um, I'm still taking medication uh, every day. Um, and for the pain and the anxiety mm. and um i am just much more open-minded about it, about the possibility of it returning 
Um, I, you know, I, I managed to, to, to go abroad very fortunately recently to, to work and was totally fine there and actually felt pretty good about going. Mm. But then if I had to come off the medication, I'm aware that I wonder if, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm apprehensive about where I'll be there. And, and one thing that's been, been by the Healthy Minds people and um, the, the, the person I'm uh, speaking to now on a, on a sort of fortnightly basis, they, they say, you know, look, you, you need to have practices to, to help. You don't want to be on medication forever. You, you want to be able to uh, ha have some tools which, you know, can get to the root cause of the problem. So that's why I still, you know, um, keep the journal and try and practice a form of mindfulness, although not as much as I should. Um, there's a really, Ruby Wax has written a really good book um, called a, a, a Mindfulness Guide for the Frazzled, I think it is. I've and, read it, it's brilliant. Uh, it's great, isn't it? I think I've got yeah. the title slightly wrong, but it's yeah, something like Yeah, I read it a while ago, but you're close, yeah. <laughs> um, I really recommend that because she speaks really candidly about it. And again, Ruby Wax, like a stand-up comedian, you wouldn't ever think is somebody yeah. that would suffer from depression, anxiety, or just, um, you know, mind fuzz. Uh, and she she now has gone and done a PhD in mindfulness and, and she practices it every day. So I think things like that are, you know, they, they can they can definitely help. Even if you don't do it every day, uh, it it will definitely help. So yeah, I've got these tools which I feel comfortable with and I feel recovered, but equally I'm aware that it happened and perhaps at some stage it it will it will you know rear its head again and I'll have to deal with it. Oh, thank you so much for joining us and for being so open and so honest. Uh, honestly, and, um, it's um, it's been so great to hear from you. It's, um, I know you're laughing, but it's true. <laughs> it, it really makes a difference for people to be that open about their experience. So. Yeah, I think Lauren's saying earlier as well that people will be surprised, you know. I think it's true because you do come across so relaxed on camera. <laughs> you know, you're, you're just so natural and so relaxed. I think it will be a massive benefit for people who are struggling to have heard that so thank you oh I hope so no uh, thanks very much for having me on it is it's much appreciated and um yeah the thing the everything's looking a bit brighter isn't it on the horizon so I hope people can yeah yeah um, definitely you know can look forward to that but also feel that they can speak up if they need to but also if you're watching thinking that's ridiculous I'll never feel like that maybe just think you know could happen Right, before you go, Tom, you've got to do our quick fire five. Are you okay, looking good. forward to this? Yes, very much so. Very much so. <laughs> okay. Fill in the blank. I am happiest when. I'm around my family. When I am feeling overwhelmed, I take a shower. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> my one top tip for looking after your well-being is. As speak to as many people as possible as you can and not judge their reaction. And can you give us something that's inspired you recently? A person, a book or a film? Oh, that's, I suppose the Ruby Wax book has, yeah, has, uh, yeah the, the Ruby Wax book uh, was great. So I suppose I could, I wish I'd had time to think about an even better answer than that, but I, I, I recommend <laughs> that. I will find the correct title for the book and put it in the show notes so everyone can find it. Um, and finally, can you give us a horse to follow? Uh, yes, um, I've put it in the uh, Racing TV magazine, uh, which will be coming out soon for the flat season, Yabir, Charlie Appleby's Yabir, who 
is um, beautifully bred, is a big, was a big tank of a horse on his first start when he finished behind Master of the Seas, who was short in the betting for the Guineas. Um, this horse won the Haynes, Hanson and Clark at Newbury at the back in the last year. And I think he's going to have a really good three-year-old season. So we're joined now by Dr. Will McComb Pralfyman, who's a chartered sports psychologist. And um, Will has an interest in lots of sports, but um, also in horse racing. And back in 2018, 2019, carried out some research with racing welfare into mental health in the industry, both in terms of conditions at work and provision within the industry and some suggestions about the best way to carry that forward that research and thanks so much for joining us Will. No it's it's lovely to be here uh, it's nice to be chatting with you guys so no thank you. Hi Will so today's topic for this podcast is about well we're focusing on anxiety and we've just spoken to um, race and tv broadcaster Tom Stanley and yeah. he one of the things he mentioned is that he felt that it was compounded by COVID and lockdown is that something that you've seen recently is that a trend is it something that has been heightened by lockdown and the effects of it yeah i suppose just just with two levels to one from 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 practice certainly across other sports i've seen elements of that so um, i think a lot of athletes are concerned a lot of sports people are concerned about their futures and financially and further reasons so i think it certainly has has increased. We know there's prevalence there in certain certain groups as well, certainly young people, and maybe it's just financially insecure. So from a practice perspective, definitely I've seen an increase, I suppose, in that. And the research, I suppose, would back that up. Now, it kind of varies. The problem with research, I suppose, over an anxiety over the last 12 months is that uh, we're only starting to really get a grip on what's coming out now. That's the problem mm. with research. But we know there certainly it's gone up. We know that the kind of anxiety amongst the population sits around 20%. And it's gone up to around 22%, the most conservative estimates. Some would say that mental uh, uh, ill health in general has gone up to around 36%. So we, there's a lot of variance there. But one thing we are sure of, it's gone up. So we're trying to understand in general. So who, who is more at risk and how can we help those individuals as well? So yeah, certainly from what my practice and from the research that I've kind of trawled through around this, we can see yeah, anxiety has started to creep up. And it varies at certain times when lockdown came in. You know, anxiety shot up more, maybe in kind of in between times, in between lockdowns, more around depressive symptoms. But certainly, yeah, um, it's it's there to be. And also, I suppose, post, uh, as we come out of lockdown, it's going to be there as well in a different format too. Yeah, that was something that Tom was talking about, actually, was that um, when he was starting to go back to work after the first lockdown, it was actually that compounded it, having to go back into that environment, back out. So you know, I, I was I was kind of saying there, it's, it's worth probably just ripping apart how anxiety works a little bit. So, mm. um, I suppose that the the main part of our, of our brain that deals with anxiety is called the amygdala. So it's part of our limbic system of our brain, and the best way to understand the amygdala is it's supposed to be like a smoke detector in our home. So a useful thing there wards off danger, and you know when we when we put the toaster on, the smoke comes out, it lets us know if you know what I mean from that perspective. But one problem, obviously, we don't want is we don't want the smoke detector to be going off too often or easily triggered. 
And what triggers it is a threat. And those threats, I suppose, can either be what we'd say ego-oriented threats, so self-esteem, you know, public speaking, those kind of things, or it can be non-ego-oriented threats. So concerns about finances, concerns about safety, etc. So when you mentioned someone going back out uh, after um, lockdown to try and find work, you have this kind of little bit of a perfect storm. They're facing the kind of physical threats that would trigger anxiety. So worry about finances, providing for family, sense of security. But also then you've got those social and psychological threats in terms of the ego side of stuff, in terms of, well, actually, you know, you know will I be still held in the same reserve, you know, as it was previously in terms of interaction with others? Uh, how will I be judged by other people if I can't get money? So you're kind of getting a bit of a perfect storm in terms of, of insecurity. So, yeah, I think there's a different form of anxiety in terms of we're worried about, you know, um, you know the, the mourning and loss that comes with the pandemic. But then we've also got this kind of other form of anxiety that comes in when we creep out of it as well. So, so yeah, it's kind of like an anxiety roller coaster a little bit in different ways. Yeah. Mm. Do you think people in general are starting to understand anxiety a bit more or even recognise those symptoms in themselves as something that is worthy of seeking support for? I think previously it, a lot of people kind of think, oh, it's just, you know, I'll get over this. It'll go away. It's just a momentary lapse in my life. And But actually it is something that's worthy of proper support. Yeah, it's, it's a funny one because um, like we'll all experience anxiety regularly you know it's something it's, as i said it's part of our brain it's something that we do need and we know that for example about 80 percent of the population will have anxiety fairly regularly in different forms and, that, and that's just the day-to-days of life but there is about five percent of the population of what we call general anxiety disorder GAD. so they will have it more regularly it'll be deeper more profound etc so i suppose it's there's it's two parts that one is educating yourself to know how to manage this was the anxiety of daily life. And that might not be necessarily seeking out professional help, but a greater understanding of yourself, your emotions, and how you might have coping mechanisms, but also to know when that might slip or how for some individuals out there, how that might slip into a more clinical realm. And you might need professional support. And that might be true. That might be true, as we said, likes to raise some welfare in terms of support, but also maybe clinical or counseling support in terms of CBT, you know, act different kind of therapeutic modalities that people would use in terms of engaging. But certainly for the day to day, it's worth knowing, I suppose, what anxiety is, how it affects us, and also how we can cope with it. Because not everybody's going to require going to a professional and seek help over that. But we could all do managing our anxiety a little bit better. That's definitely true. Yeah. Yeah. Tom talked about, you know, the the panic attacks and the lack of sleep. When you talked about coping mechanisms as a psychologist, what have you found as are the most effective coping tools for that that type of anxiety? Yeah, it's it's an interesting um, you know, about managing panic attacks. I think if it gets to that level, you might be getting into the realms where, you know, that support might be needed. Not necessarily for everybody, because not everybody wants to engage in that, but it can be quite useful. But in terms of, I suppose, uh, general health, we can look at it in in three ways. So we can, we can look at it from a, a physical way. Okay, so we know that anxiety will manifest itself physical. So increased heart rates. Any of you guys have ever done public speaking? I know you're 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 highly professional at what you do, but I get often get the feeling that you oh, might <laughs> you might get a feeling that you get a sweaty hands. <laughs> You know, that kind of stuff, a little bit of muscle tension. So 
that is a common common physical um, response. And certainly in terms of, we, we know relaxation techniques are really useful there. I know my clients use what's called a 10 breath technique, which is just about, you know, awareness of your breathing and also awareness of your thoughts. Often you use a metaphor that, you know, when you have worrying thoughts, which is really common for anxiety, you kind of treat them like cars passing outside your house. You know, they come and go, but they shouldn't impact on, on what you do daily. So that just was, that's one element. And um, this was other side of it as well, in terms of the physical side is about, ment about mental and physical re rehearsal. So we often say, but practice the preference. So how you would like to engage others, how you like to deal with certain situations and, and actually acting them out can be quite, quite reassuring. So that, that just was from the, the physical side of stuff, even from our thoughts as well. Mindfulness-based techniques are really, really useful. Um, I know it's going to sound strange for, as a psychologist. I know for me personally, um, the meditative side of mindfulness hasn't always worked, but I really like going for mindful walks. I don't know if you guys, I think everybody's doing much more walking at the moment. I don't know if you guys have been out <laughs> walking the streets in the countryside. I know I have been a lot and I'm trying to do more mindful noticing. So even just noticing um, certain plants or birds, etc., just to draw, draw myself out of my own thoughts, if that makes sense. Because I think what happens is mm. we really get caught up in our own psychological busyness. So mindful walks, even like that, just noticing certain things just kind of stops us from getting wrapped up in our own ruminating, as we call it, dwelling on negative thoughts. How do you gauge when it's, what's the tipping point between it being part of your normal life that you were saying everyone experienced? When does it tip over to being a problem? How do you recognize that? I think it's, it's, it's persistence and severity. So if it's going on for a protracted period of time and maybe if it gets split from context as well. So, for example, a lot of sports people, a lot of athletes would have performance-related anxiety. They get anxious about performing or training. But if that is continuous all the time, then that would be a bit of a red flag and also deepening of symptoms. So maybe not just rumination, but as you said, panic attacks or struggling to kind of function in daily life, struggling maybe to kind of operate, getting a bit paralysed but anxiety, there's a, there's a tipping point there between feeling the butterflies um, and then that, that's kind of butterflies controlling you a little bit. So I think that is the, the tipping point there. So it is, it, is, it is difficult. And most of the people never see a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Um, so it is, it is interesting then. So yeah, if you identify it, what do you do next? You know, that's also another issue too. So there's a, a moral yeah. issue there for and then especially if it's not that severe so you feel like it's not having a huge impact on your life but I guess it's catching it before it does become a, a big issue it must, mm. it's quite difficult yeah and I know as you even said earlier on like, like for me personally I've had therapy for my own anxiety and a tipping point for that was really heavy rumination you know like what we said dwelling all the time on negative thoughts and that and then the lack of control so they become invasive thoughts so not just that when I'm going on to speak on a fantastic podcast, it's not just that, <laughs> but more anxiety, but also maybe simple day-to-day -day things that in the past would never cause anxiety. They're kind of starting to crop up, so it's starting to lose a little bit of control on it. So I know for me, that was a, a real identifier. Actually, hold on, this is starting to take over my life a little bit too much. I need to kind of reel it back. So that's when I got it. But it's good for psychologists in general, I suppose, to get personal therapy, but that was kind of my, my aim at the time, you know? We all have butterflies. We all have butterflies we experience week to week. Um, but the main thing is, is trying to get our butterflies to fly in formation. So we will experience it, but it's that sense of control, which is really, really important. If we lose that sense of control, that's when we can begin to get into shaky territory. And that might be in our professional lives or our personal lives. 
So for me, that's that's a nice way, I suppose, to sum it up with that juice. So a huge thank you to both Tom and Will for joining us today. I hope you all enjoyed listening to them as much as we did. Will was had some really great pieces of advice and I just don't even know where to start with Tom. It was just so refreshing to hear someone speak so openly like that. Yeah, it really was about a, a topic that affects so many people. Mm. And as Will said, you know, it's, it's sort of been exacerbated through lockdown and and the recent circumstances with with covid so it was really inspiring wasn't it to hear from tom and just to see how open he was about it it was so interesting wasn't it because he um is such a great presenter and he is you know we as we said when we were talking to him like always Mm -hmm. comes across as so relaxed and enjoying it and which he does but you know that kind of confidence trick that lydia mentioned yeah back in episode one but when you, um, he's not the only one that's done it on the podcast, is he? When we get to that question at the end about, can you give us a horse to follow? And you see them switch, switch yeah. <laughs> into presenter mode. And it is, it's just a reminder, isn't it? That the person that you see on screen mm-hmm. isn't the human being who's dealing with all the issues that we all have to face. Yeah, it's that kind of cliche a bit, but you never know what's going on. Yeah. In people's personal lives. We judge other people on so little information and it's it was just really, really good to hear him talk so openly about such a hot topic, really. Yeah, and anxiety. Um, like you say, it, it does affect lots of people and Racing Welfare has got a huge wealth of support available for this kind of issue, haven't we? Yeah, I mean, there's so much support. So... Actually, as well, what was interesting is that last year there was a 153% increase in support for mental health um, offered by Racing Welfare. So that's really positive in that it shows people in racing are coming forward for support as well. There's a breadth of ways that Racing Welfare can Mm -hmm. help with anxiety, such as we've got a new partnership with Care First, who provide our support line providers. And, you know, now all the phones, uh, like all the advisors on the phone lines are BACP accredited, so they're all trained counsellors. If people are just struggling in that moment, but it's not a crisis, it's something that can be helped straight away, you can call yeah. You can call and talk to a counsellor. Yeah, and there's actually a great blog on the website if you just have a search on there for In The Moment Support on Racing Welfare's website, sort of explaining that service. And also explaining that if that counsellor that you speak to thinks you could benefit from more um, regular counselling, that, that, that that's the access route to that as well. So there's a lot available. Yeah, and also sleep counselling. So Tom obviously talked quite a bit about sleep mm. and that can be a massive effect of, of anxiety, not being able to sleep. So with um, Paris Lane, our colleague, she's doing a, a block like blogging away through sleep station it's an nhs accredited program yeah. um so there's lots of tips on there and advice of, of ways to help with your sleep as well yeah i think the other thing that i'd love to highlight is a racing lifestyle instagram live we did last year sometime with Aegon conlon and he goes through some really great breathing techniques which can be so helpful for mm. anxiety 
So if you just head to the Racing Welfare's Instagram page and head to our um, IGTV and just scroll back for episode two of Racing Lifestyle, that could be really helpful for people. There's a wealth of information and, and support out there. So it's it's well worth looking at if for anybody who is struggling with anxiety because like Tom said, it can be crippling. Mm. So just reaching out for a bit of support. There's all different types of support. You can find the right one for you. But the easiest way to get in touch is to call the support line. Yeah, on 0800 6300 And there's also information on the website. If you go to racingwelfare.co.uk and you can visit Get Advice. And there's over 100 pages of support on there as well. Brilliant. So we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time with the next episode. If you would like to get in touch with us before then with any comments or ideas for future episodes, it's podcast at racingwelfare.co.uk. See you then. Bye.